everybody. I'm Andrea Siminski, and this is the Hindsight's 2020 podcast. Today, I'm chatting with my friend, who you all know as Serena C. from Matt James's season of The Bachelor. We'll get into what led her to sign up for The Bachelor and what that experience was like in light of all the political and racial tensions 2020 served up. Serena, can you introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Serena Chu. I am 25 years old and currently a New York-based flight attendant. Awesome. Serena, I am so psyched that you are willing to chat with little old me. (laughs) Before we really get into this, we should probably explain how we know one another. Um, You and I have known each other for about three years. We met a while back because you used to babysit for Nora and Peter, my kids before you became a flight attendant. So you have been sort of an honorary member of our family for a long time. Um, So I'm really psyched that you're willing to be on the podcast to talk to me about all of your experiences in 2020. Feel free to sort of dive in at the beginning. That's what most of my guests do. They sort of rewind back to last year, around this time, even January, and just sort of like what they thought was going to happen and then what actually did happen. So take take me through it. Yeah, so... When the pandemic was first starting, we noticed that flights were getting relatively empty. Um, Seats were open pretty much. And I was, there were rumors going around the company basically saying that they were going to start furloughing people. And the first thing that my company did was offer leaves. Nice. So, what kind of leaves were they offering? So, they offered leaves anywhere from three months, six months, nine months, and 12 months. Got it. So did you go on leave or did you get furloughed ultimately? So I decided ultimately to take a nine-month leave because my lease was ending in New York City and it would be easier to move back to San Francisco where I originally lived. And so I was slowly moving my things back, flying back and forth from New York City because things were shutting down, but they weren't completely stopping air travel yet. So by... April, that's when I was pretty much completely moved out. And then my leave started. And also with my leave, I qualified for unemployment. In the start of my leave, I was still pretty self-sufficient, as I would say. Kind of more of like a paid leave in a situation, in a sense. Even though the world shuts down, I'm very much trying to make the best out of every situation. And so all of my girls we're all starting to work from home. And since we had been quarantining for some time already, I said, hey, let's just drive to a house and we can quarantine together for a month. So I don't know how I did it, but I did convince everyone to join me in a nice house like in the desert in Vegas. And when I say Vegas, I'm not saying like party Vegas. It was just like on the outskirts in a nice like flat house because we wanted like warm weather as well. Oh, I remember feeling very jealous of you. And also like, man, what a time to like not have children, right? (laughs) And not be tied down. I mean, it is kind of fun. I mean, you became a flight attendant for a reason, right? You have this sense of adventure and like you don't want to stay put. So that must have been really hard for you. So I'm glad that you were able to convince your friends to to go do that in a safe way. So that's, that's awesome. Well, then, you know... Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, all of these things are happening. And I know how I felt about it, but I'm curious sort of how you and your friend circle um, experienced all of that. Yeah. So it was like, it was in our last week in Vegas. 
when George Floyd happened. And I can just tell in the energy of my best friend, Corinne, like she was trying to have a good time, but I can tell that her head wasn't all there. And I just gave her the space to talk about it. And we really did go deeper into the conversation. And she just felt like she said that she felt kind of bad for kind of enjoying her time there, even though she wanted in her heart to be speaking for the Black community and wanting to support them. So after we got back from Vegas, it was a few days where she wanted to be more involved. We were going out to protest. We were meeting people. And she was actually able to put together an event at our old school at San Jose State. And it was really inspiring to see how many people were coming out just to support one another as well as raise awareness for a situation that caused pretty much the whole historical march. Right. I think it was definitely... You actually said this as we were preparing for this. It was a really eye-opening time full of self-reflection. And I've talked about this with other guests. Like, I think at a certain point, many of us sort of became numb or assumed that you know things were better in this country. And it was just ripping that Band-Aid off for folks who always lived it and it never changed for all of us to be like, oh, we have a lot of work to do. I'm so glad that you got involved with your friends and were able to support all of that and have that introspection. So then, okay, so now you're like, okay, this is still happening. This pandemic is still happening. I thought life would be going back to normal. And so you're kind of back at home, you know, sort of a little bit feeling isolated maybe. So then what happens? Well, so my house became a project, a huge project for me. So the house I was living at, I was painting. I was doing all these DIY things to make it like a cuter place to live in. But being inside, I was getting very anxious, antsy. I noticed I was living on my phone. Like my screen time probably went from four hours to like 10 hours. Oh my gosh. Yeah, because I was just constantly seeing what other people were doing, all these like challenges. Everyone was like baking bread, doing all these workout challenges. And it sucked because I wanted to see my friends, but it was either half of them still wanted to stay inside and half of them were working. So this glamorous life that I thought I was going to have by being on leave was actually leaving me more lonely and Mm. kind of just in my head. So during the week, it was kind of just me by myself with all of my thoughts and being inside and feeling like I wasn't doing anything. And ultimately, it gave me a lot of like anxiety and I was very stir crazy, Um, just like a lot of other people as well. Right. So then what did you decide to do? Well... Because when I had left New York, I kind of stopped dating the people that I had been seeing. And I felt like I wasn't going to be meeting anyone anytime soon. And I think around June or July, they had announced that Matt James was going to be the next Bachelor. And it's funny because before he was even announced, I kind of knew who he was through his Instagram. And I just thought, 
wow, this guy, this man is beautiful. So when he was announced, I just said, let's just apply and see where it goes from there. Didn't think anything of it. I didn't think I would even hear back. And then fast forward to this conversation and everything happened. (laughs) I mean, that is crazy. Like, wasn't it the most applications in like bachelor history? That's incredible that you got chosen. Right. I was so surprised. (laughs) I'm proud of you. Um, I remember when I found out, do you remember? I sent you a message and I was like, oh my God, how did your parents allow you to do this? (laughs) (laughs) Literally the first thought that popped into my mind when I actually got to the end, I was like, oh my gosh, now I actually have to tell my parents. (laughs) I made a funny situation out of it. It was good. Oh, good. I do remember before we kind of go in, I do, I have so many questions about The Bachelor for you, but, um, and that experience. But I remember it was maybe September ish when I finally got Paul comfortable with the idea of bringing a third adult into our house to help babysit here and there so I could have a break. So this started in March. So it took me till September to get him on board. And so I reached out to you and I was like, Serena, all right, let's do this. And you were like, oh, I'm off on a little adventure for a couple months. And I was like, rats. And then when I came to find out what you had been doing, I was like, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, that's crazy. I know. So fast forward, you, you do this and you obviously can't tell anyone about it. So when The Bachelor airs, I personally haven't watched The Bachelor in years, but I tuned in to see you. And this was a really interesting and crazy season to be on. Matt is the first Black Bachelor. I'm sure that carried a ton of weight on his shoulders. And so many of The Bachelorettes were, you know, BIPOC and just super diverse. And you you end up taping after the summer of the protests and all of the events that people who may have turned a blind eye to racial inequity and injustice in this country could no longer turn away and look away. And so, you know, as a person of color yourself, what was it like to go into taping, you know, in the fall after this incredibly emotional summer? Yeah, so in between all of the protests, there had been some time where I feel like things were kind of settling down. Oh, what does that mean? Tell me more. So going on to the season, it was kind of a breath of fresh air. I hope that's the right term to use. Yeah. (laughs) But it was kind of a breath of fresh air because it was going to be a totally new experience. And I felt completely safe because we were all wrapped into this bubble. And just the way everything played out in the show, I thought that they had great representation. And I thought that there was real change happening, which there has been real change happening Mm -hmm. just by this season. And after taping, I had left feeling very proud of myself for going through, yeah, going through this whole experience and learning more about myself than when I first started. That's amazing. So what are some of the takeaways you learned about yourself? Some of the takeaways I learned from the show are being able to communicate my feelings 
better mm-hmm. and not really being afraid of talking about my emotions because in the past I tend to just keep it all bottled up into myself and mm-hmm. I won't tell the person I'm interested that I like them unless they want to tell me first. Oh, I see. So just being more upfront with my intentions and not just with the person I'm dating, but with people I talk to on a daily basis. I mean, overall, it was a crazy experience. It's so hard because at the end of it, what came out of it are friendships of a lifetime. Like if it weren't for the show, I feel like I never would have met these amazing women that are now in my life. And now we all, like I live in New York with some of them and it has been the New York life that I always envisioned for myself. So it's really great to have gone through this experience with them. And it's weird to say that, yeah, we kind of all dated the same guy and had feelings for the same guy, but for us to all be friends after and still hang out and have much more in common with each other than we did with Matt James is is amazing. And I love that. Yeah, I was going to say, um, you know, you may not have found the romantic love you were looking for on the show, but it seems like you made this wonderful set of lifelong friends. And in some ways, you know, that's going to carry you further because there's nothing like a good group of girlfriends. Absolutely. I think it was after the show or maybe like during sort of the end of the season, the pictures of Rachel surface and no need to go into details there. We all know that Matt and Rachel end up splitting up and then Chris Harrison ends up, you know, being forced to recognize his own white privilege kind of the hard way, right? And then many of the BIPOC bachelorettes, uh, yourself included, stood together in solidarity and you issued a joint statement when all of that was going on. Can you talk to me about that? Right. So this was about this about around the same time when the episode of my confrontation with Katie came out. So right before that interview, like I was I had like quite a bit of backlash coming through on my Instagram and I was kind of dealing with that. And then once the interview came out, I realized that there's a bigger conversation going on that needs to be talked about. And so I was just reaching out to the fellow contestants and seeing where their head's at and if there was anything I can do to help, leaving space for them to talk. And they had told me that they were working on something in a way that I can support them. So when Rachel stood up for the Black community in that conversation with Chris Harrison, Mm -hmm. we wanted to show our full support and let her know that she is not alone and that our season stood with her against racism and how that interview played out was not something that we were just going to brush off. Got it. So collectively, we all decided to post it. And that was our way of standing up to and against racism and that we do not claim the behavior that Chris Harrison exuded during the interview. And some of us were nervous at first because we didn't really know what was going to happen. But at the end of it, we have a voice 
And when all of us came together, our voices are louder. And I feel like definitely it made a statement, which is what we wanted to do. Yeah. And I think in times like that, you know, it's very clear, like what the right path is. It might not be the easier path, but it's the right path. And and your heart knows that you have to go down that. So I'm glad that you all came together and, and did that, especially not knowing what would come of it. Kind of along those lines, I mean, am I allowed to say how disappointed I was and how little screen time you received? I mean, obviously I'm <laughs> team Serena C because I know you, but you made it pretty far uh, in the rose right. ceremonies, but I feel like we literally never saw you with Matt. So do you feel that there might've been some unconscious bias going on? I feel like the whole season there was a lot of trauma as every season. Sure. <laughs> Watching it back, it was a little disappointing not to see me interact with this man that I had been dating for up to six weeks now. And the only thing people really know about me is the fact that I'm arguing with the girls or somehow not getting along with them. But... I wouldn't say that they intentionally cut me out. I would probably say that they want to cater to what helps them get the ratings, which mm-hmm. in that way would be drama or the love stories that really kick off in the beginning. Yeah, that's that's fair enough. But I mean, that makes sense. It's still disappointing to me. <laughs> I know. Same as well. But... The plus side of that, because, you know, we talked about how my parents would react to me being on the show. But the plus side of that is Uh that my parents didn't have to watch you make out with Matt. (laughs) (laughs) Basically, yeah. You can add me and Paul to that bucket too, because I did not (laughs) want to watch you make out with Matt. So you're so right that there was like a major plus side. Yeah, you know, that's me. I'm always looking on the positive side of things. (laughs) Well, I think to transition into maybe one of the final topics here, and it's a little bit heavier, um, but I want to give you a space to talk about this and share your feelings. Our former president uses language and used language that was very inflammatory to the AAPI community in light of the pandemic and COVID-19. And over the past year, we've seen a massive uptick in hate crimes, just horrendous attacks within and against the AAPI community across this entire country. And I want to give you a platform to talk about the impact that it is having on you, your family, your community, and just give you the space to address that. Yeah, I mean, I feel like since... The pandemic and in recent months, I've never really seen so much awareness bring, being brought to light about the hate against the Asian community. Growing up, I never really experienced any hate. There were just some few racism remarks, usually about my eyes or the type of lunches I would bring to school. But seeing the videos of these attacks and seeing how much people are willing to help. It does bring me some peace, but it definitely has heightened my anxiety because now 
most of these videos that I've seen are in New York. And being in New York City flight attendant, I am in the position where I have to walk to work, walk, be on the subway, be on the trains and walk in the city. At like odd hours, right? Yeah. So I'm talking at like any time, like 2 a.m., 3 a.m., like Ooh. the hours of like 2 to 6. So my first year at flying, I never felt unsafe. I always just, maybe that was me being ignorant and, or not being aware, but now I'm definitely way more aware. But it's also made me a bit apprehensive about taking these trains early mm-hmm. in the morning. But more so, it just breaks my heart, honestly. Like just thinking that it could be my little grandma who lives in Stockton or my mom who just goes to the grocery store sometimes. Like they're so tiny and all they like, it's very sad. And I do really enjoy the fact that people are talking about it. Mm -hmm. People are doing things about it. We're raising awareness. We're developing programs to help keep people safe and make sure. And that's what I love about social media is that you can reach the ends of the earth with just one post or one video. And we're able to find these attackers and Mm -hmm. just really use each other kind of like as our own eyes on the ground, mm-hmm. you know, because mm-hmm. everyone has a phone, everyone's right. watching. So help, like everyone can help monitor. What are the like neighborhood patrols, right? Right. Because you know how in the past they always say like, mind your business. Right. And this, if you see something, don't say anything. But now it's like, if you see something, say something like yeah. step in, step up. There's, like I said, strength in numbers. So. Yeah as we stand together. It is a bit of a catch-22 though, because sometimes, you know, like we all walk through life so differently, even just take Paul and I, you know, like he walks this earth very differently than I do based on our experiences and, and what we look like. And when I walk in the neighborhood with the kids and like you said, you know, everything that's going on, including, you know, what's going on with Black Lives Matter and, and just being allies in that community. When I walk with the kids, I always, I'm like this crazy uptight mom who's like, you guys can only be an arm's distance away from me because I need to be able to snatch you up at any given time if someone's coming for you or me. You know what I mean? And it's just such a difficult way to have to live life right now. And, you know, if I saw something, I know the right thing to do is to step in and intervene, but I also have this level of fear going on that like, I mean, I, I hope and pray that I, I would do the right thing, but it's dangerous too, you know? So it's like, what do we Absolutely. do? You know, like I feel somewhat helpless and kind of stuck as well. Absolutely. Because I feel the same way. I say this, see something, say something, stand in, do something. But like... I mean, it just feels like a little bit of a, like a strange nightmare. I wish it would just stop. Right. Because like, if I saw someone getting beat, like I'm tiny as hell, so... Like if I step in, would I be putting myself in danger as well? So I definitely understand where you're coming from, especially when if you're watching the kiddos and obviously their safety is the most important priority. Yay. Is there anything else, any final, anything just looking back on 2020? I mean, boy, you are like a guest who whose life really changed in 2020 um, with these amazing experiences. 
like your podcast. And in hindsight of 2020, going through it, it was a tough battle. But looking back, it still was probably one of the most pivotal points in my life. Mm -hmm. And because going into 2020, it was supposed to be one of my golden years because the Chinese Zodiac, your golden year is every 12 years. So 2020 was going to be my second golden year. And Mm. like I said, I had this whole vision going in 2020. Everyone's like, oh, you're going to have that 2020 vision. You're going to be seeing clearly and everything. Everyone thought it was going to be like this glamorous life of like doing everything that they wanted to do. And that Mm -hmm. was the caption. Like that was the caption that was trending all over. Right. But little did they know or little did I know that the 2020 vision was actually seeing clearly like with our own eyes, the inequality and the injustice of our system and how much we were able to overcome and outvote and obviously get someone out of office. (laughs) So especially with all the fires too and that weekend of all the ash in the air, it was so much craziness. What a crazy year. Yeah. I feel like we can only go up from here. It's so true. It's so true. Once you hit rock bottom. Well, congratulations on your relocation back to New York City, on hitting the skies again. And, um, you know, we wish you only the best and we love you. I love you guys as well. I can't wait to see you next. Thanks for tuning in to Hindsight's 2020. I hope you leave feeling more connected and able to see your own silver linings. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a few minutes to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on iTunes. Special thanks to my sound engineer, John Kerr of Wayfair Recording. We can't do any of this without your support. Follow us on Instagram at Hindsight's 2020 Podcast and join the conversation at Hindsight's 2020 Podcast on Facebook. Facebook.